is ARN. Uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday. Yes, Friday is upon us. We are here. The weekend is just a few hours away. You can make it to quitting time. You know you can. So happy Friday, everyone. It is the 16th day of February, 2024. And this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on X, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all those great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Oh, happy Friday. Mm. Had choir practice at church last night. <clears throat> Getting ready for, for Easter. We don't have a choir every Sunday. Um, but, uh, that for the, uh, Christmas, we did the choir, we, we created a choir and, uh, we are doing a, a choir, um, a choral rendition of, is he worthy, um, on, uh, on Easter. So we started our first rehearsal was last night. And, uh, it's going to be, <laughs> I think we, we cut up and laugh and have a good time and, and it greatly annoys our choral director, I think, <laughs> judging by the looks on her face. <laughs> uh, but we have a good time and it'll all come together. And, and a lot of times, you know, something like that, if you can't have fun, why do it? Um. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, getting ready to, yeah, we're just, just weeks away from Easter. This is, I mean, this is Lent started Wednesday. So I guess we're, if Wednesday was 40 days, although actually I think it's 46 days. They don't count. Sundays don't count. And there's all, um, all sorts of weird things about how it's, counted out and everything um but we've talked enough about lint this week uh, and and i did enjoy a friend of mine's post about you know how do you enjoy or how do you observe lint and he says i normally just pull it out of the dryer vent <laughs> so so we know all right what do we got coming up today we have scripture reading from the legacy standard bible we have prayers from the book of common prayer we have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, and it's Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. We are looking at Federalist number 45 of 85. So we are actually halfway through 
We're more than halfway through the Federalist Papers. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is Genesis 47 and Psalm 47. Genesis 47. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and set them before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our father, and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is heavy in the land of Canaan. So now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Have your father and your brothers settle in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any excellent men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very heavy, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. 
And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Then the money came to an end in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. So all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Then that year came to an end, and they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money has come to an end, and the livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we die before you, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field because of the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they ate off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. And it will be at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed for the field and for your food, and for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have kept us alive. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves." And Joseph made a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they took possession of property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were one hundred and forty-seven then the days for Israel to die drew near. And he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in loving kindness and truth. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but I will lie down with my fathers and you will carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me, so he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Now Psalm 47. For the choir director of the sons of Korah, a psalm. O clap your hands, all peoples. Make a loud shout to God with the sound of a shout of joy. For Yahweh Most High is fearsome, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves, Selah. God has ascended with a loud shout, Yahweh with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. 
Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled themselves with the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ with John MacArthur. Today's devotion is an empty profession of faith. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Matthew 7, 21. Here Jesus is speaking of the devotedly religious who think they are saved but aren't. The Lord will continue these warnings later about spiritual self-deception, the foolish, unprepared virgins, Matthew 25, 1-12, and the goats who did not really serve him, Matthew 25, 32-33, and 41-46. Many factors deceive people regarding salvation. First, some have a false assurance. They rely on past decisions for Christ apart from the Spirit's convicting work. But our salvation is made secure by increasing evidence of fruitfulness, 2 Peter 1, 3-11. Second, many fail to examine themselves, see 2 Corinthians 13, 5, 1 John 1, 8, and 9. Instead of gliding through life unconcerned about sins, one who has no desire to come to God for continued cleansing is likely not saved. Third, a person can be deceived even in the midst of much religious activity. Hearing sermons, reading the Bible, and attending Bible studies are good, but such things may insulate someone from true worship. Fourth, many attempt to rationalize their salvation, thinking that their good deeds outweigh their bad ones. But apart from God, we cannot do anything righteous. Psalm 14, 1-3, Psalm 53, 1-3, Romans 3, 12. We could mention many other spiritual delusions, all of which involve failure to enter the narrow gate with repentance, submission to Christ, humility, and a desire for holiness. The important thing, however, is not to, wander, not to wonder about all these possibilities, but to enter God's one true way to salvation. Ask yourself, is the validity of your salvation ever in doubt in your mind? Do you, see, do you see yourself in any of the examples given above? Then anchor your, anchor your faith today in the sure word and promises of God and walk in the confidence of eternal life, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. All right, it is Friday, so it is Federalist Friday. As we continue to work our way through the Federalist Papers. And I'm noticing, looking at my computer, my upload speed has been really low the last few days. And it says I'm dropping a lot of frames. I'm not sure how continuous the live stream is. <laughs> so if it's cutting out on you and you're missing something and, and uh, if it gets jittery or something, know that the audio that will be uploaded 
shortly after we finish the live cast is going to be, it's recorded here. <laughs> I don't take it from the stream. So it, uh, it will be a, a much, much higher quality. Um, but I just, I'm looking at, uh, at a little red dot where my upload speed is. And the fact that 63% of my frames have been dropped since I started live streaming this morning. Just wanted to point that out, that the audio is available for download. Um, again, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Podcast, all these different podcast services. Although my understanding is Google Podcast is going away. I'm not sure how they're how they're doing that, if they have a new podcast service or what. Um, that might, or maybe it's just going away from Apple. Um, I got a notification because I, I have Google Podcast installed on my iPhone. But uh, if you are an Android user, um, maybe they're continuing it. I don't know. Let me know. Squirrel Chatter at protonmail.com. Drop me a line. Let me know. Um, because I'm not going to research it, <laughs> but uh, but Spotify, TuneIn, all of the the major podcast services, you can find Squirrel Chatter there, as well as going to uh, podbean.squirrelchatter.com. You can directly access it there, or you can go to the Christian Podcast Community dot com and access it there but uh, the audio quality is going to be um, probably a little bit higher if my upload speed stays this low i have the fastest internet that's available in my area but i am out in the middle of the piney woods it's a dsl line excuse me we don't have fiber optics yet my understanding is that sometime in the next year, maybe two, we're supposed to have fiber optics here. And that will be wonderful <laughs> to have actual high-speed internet. But as I think about that, I remember the days of 28.8 uh, dial-up. Uh, so, yeah, I've been there. I remember 14.4 dial-up. Um back in the early 90s. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the uh, the internet has changed quite a bit <laughs> since I first started using it. A lot more. I remember how long it used to take to download a photograph. You know, you'd see it resolve line by line as it slowly scrolled down the screen. Um, audio was Audio was iffy <laughs> back then. And, and now it's, you know, video <laughs> sometimes gets iffy, uh, especially if you're, you know, doing uh, uh, 4K video or something like that. That can, that can buffer. But back then it was audio. I remember trying to listen to something on real audio on dial-up and, and, you know, it would play a few minutes and then it would buffer play a few minutes and buffer. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days, my friends. We thought they would never end. 
So I shouldn't complain. Internet is much faster now than it used to be, even as it's misbehaving on me this morning. All right, Federalist Friday. Federalist number 45. The title of this one is The Alleged Danger from the Powers of the Union to the State Governments Considered. For the Independent Journal, author James Madison, to the people of the state of New York. Having shown that no one of the powers transferred to the federal government is unnecessary or improper, the next question to be considered is whether the whole mass of them will be dangerous to the portion of authority left in the several states. The adversaries to the plan of the convention, instead of considering in the first place what degree of power was absolutely necessary for the purposes of the federal government, have exhausted themselves in a secondary inquiry into the possible consequences of the proposed degree of power to the governments of the particular states. But if the Union, as has been shown, is essential to the security of the people of America against foreign danger, if it be essential to their security against contentions and wars among the different states, if it be essential to guard them against those violent and oppressive factions which embitter the blessings of liberty, and against those military establishments which must, gra which must gradually poison its very foundation, if, in a word, the Union be essential to the happiness of the people of America, is it not preposterous to urge as an objection to a government without which the objects of the Union cannot be attained that such a government may derogate from the importance of the government of the individual states. Was then the American Revolution affected as the American Confederacy formed, or was the, was the, uh, excuse me, back to the beginning of that sentence. Was then the American Revolution affected? Was the American Confederacy formed? Was the precious blood of thousands spilt and the hard-earned substance of millions lavished? Not that the people of America should enjoy peace, liberty, and safety, but that the government of the individual states, that particularly municipal establishments, might enjoy a certain extent of power and be arrayed with certain dignities and attributes of sovereignty? We have heard of the impious, impious doctrine of the old world, that the people were made for kings, not kings for the people. Is the same doctrine to be revived in the new, in another shape, that the solid happiness of the people is to be sacrificed to the views of political institutions of a different form? Is it too early for politicians to presume on our forgetting that the public good, the real welfare of the great body of the people, is the supreme object to be pursued, and that no form of government whatever has any other value than as it may be fitted for the attainment of this object? Were the plan of the convention adverse to the public happiness, my voice would be, reject the plan. Were the union itself inconsistent with the public happiness, it would be, abolish the union. In like manner, as far as the sovereignty of the states cannot be reconciled to the happiness of the people, the voice of every good citizen must be, let the former be sacrificed to the latter. How far the sacrifice is necessary has been shown. 
how far the unsacrificed residue will be endangered is the question before us. Several important considerations have been touched in the course of these papers, which discountenance the su supposition that the operation of the federal government will, by degrees, prove fatal to the state governments. The more I revolve the subject, the more fully I am persuaded that the balance is much more likely to be disturbed by the, prepon the preponderancy of the last than of the first scale. We have seen in all the examples of ancient and modern confederacies the strongest tendency continually betraying itself in the members to despoil the general government of its authorities with a very ineffectual capacity in the latter to defend itself against the encroachments. Although, in most of these examples, the system has been so dissimilar from that under consideration as greatly to weaken any inference concerning the latter from the fate of the former. Yet, as the states will retain under the proposed Constitution a very extensive portion of active sovereignty, the inference ought not to be wholly disregarded. In the Achaean League, it is probable that the federal head had a degree and species of power which gave it a considerable likeness to the government framed by the convention. The Lycian Confederacy, as far as its principles and form are transmitted, must have borne a still greater analogy to it. Yet history does not inform us that either of them ever degenerated or tended to degenerate into one consolidated government. On the contrary, we know that the ruin of one of them proceeded from the incapacity of the federal authority to prevent the dissensions and finally the dis disunion of the subordinate authorities. These cases are the more worthy of our attention <clears throat> as the external causes by which the component parts were pressed together were much more numerous and powerful than in our case, and consequently less powerful ligaments within would be sufficient to bind the members to the head and to each other. In the feudal system, we have seen a similar propensity exemplified, notwithstanding the want of proper sympathy in every instance between local sovereigns and the people, and the sympathy in some instances between the general sovereign and the latter. It usually happened that the local sovereigns prevailed in the rivalship for encroachments. Had no external dangers enforced internal harmony and subordination, and particularly had the local sovereigns possessed the affections of the people, the great kingdoms in Europe would at this time consist of as many independent princes as there were formerly feudatory barons. The state government will have the advantage of the federal government, whether we compare them in respect to the immediate dependence of the one on the other, to the weight of personal influence which each will which each will which each side will possess, to the powers respectively vested in them, to the predilection and probable support of the people, to the disposition and faculty of resisting and frustrating the measures of each other. The state governments may be regarded as constituent and essential parts of the federal government, whilst the latter is nowise essential to the operation or organization of the former. Without the intervention of the state legislatures, the President of the United States cannot be elected at all. 
They must, in all cases, have a great share in his appointment, and will perhaps, in most cases, of themselves determine it. The Senate will be elected absolutely and exclusively. The Senate will be elected absolutely and exclusively by the state legislatures. Even the House of Representatives, though drawn immediately from the people, will be chosen very much under the influence of that class of men whose influence over the people obtains for themselves an election into the state legislatures. Thus, each of the principal branches of the federal government will owe its existence more or less to the favor of the state governments and must, consequently, feel a dependence which is much more likely to beget a disposition to obsequious than to overbearing towards them. On the other side, the component parts of the state governments will in no instance be indebted for their appointment to the direct agency of the federal government and very little, if at all, to the local influence of its members. The number of individuals employed under the Constitution of the United States will be much smaller than the number employed under the particular states. There will be, consequently, there will consequently be less of personal influence on the side of the former than of the latter. The members of the legislative, executive, and judicial departments of 13 and more states, the justices of peace, officers of militia, ministerial officers of justice, and all the county, corporation, and town officers for three millions and more of people intermixed and having particular acquaintance with every class and circle of people must exceed beyond all proportion, both in number and influence, those of every description who will be, who will be employed in the administration of the federal system. Compare the members of the three great departments of the 13 states, excluding from the Judiciary Department the Justices of the Peace, with the members of the corresponding departments of the single government of the Union, compare the militia officers of three millions of people with the military and marine officers of any establishment which is within the compass of probability, or, I may add, a possibility, and in this view alone we may pronounce the advantage of the states to be decisive. If the federal government is to have collectors of revenue, the state governments will have theirs also. And as those of the former will be principally on the seacoast and not very numerous, whilst those of the latter will be spread over the face of the country and will be very numerous, the advantage in this view also lies on the same side. It is true that the Confederacy is to possess and may exercise the power of collecting internal as well as external taxes throughout the states. But it is probable that this power will not be resorted to except for supplemental purposes of revenue, that an option will then be given to the states to supply their quotas by previous collections of their own, and that the eventual collection, under the immediate authority of the Union, will, be gen will generally be made by the officers and according to the rules appointed by the several states. Indeed, it is extremely probable that in other instances, particularly in the organization of judicial power, the officer of the states will be clothed with the correspondent authority of the Union. Should it happen, however, that separate collectors of internal revenue should be appointed under the federal government, 
the influence of the whole number would not bear a comparison with that of the multitude of state officers in the opposite scale. Within every district to which a federal collector would be allotted, there would not be less than 30 or 40 or even more officers of different descriptions, and many of them persons of character and weight, whose influence would lie on the side of the state. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects, as war, peace, negotiations, and foreign commerce, with which last the power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. The operations of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger, those of state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage over the federal government. The more adequate, indeed, the federal powers may be rendered to the national defense, the less frequent will be those scenes of danger which might favor their ascendancy over the governments of the particular states. If the new Constitution be examined with accuracy and candor, it will be found that the change which it proposes consists much less in the addition of new powers to the Union than in the invigoration of its original powers. The regulation of commerce, it is true, is a new power, but that seems to be an addition which few oppose and from which no apprehensions are entertained. The powers relating to war and peace, armies and fleets, treaties and finance, with the other more considerable powers, are all vested in the existing Congress by the Articles of Confederation. The proposed change does not enlarge these powers. It only substitutes a more effectual mode of administrating them. The change related to taxation may be regarded as the most important, and yet the present Congress have as complete authority to require of the states indefinite supplies of money for the common defense and general welfare as the future conference will, Congress will have to require them of individual citizens. And the latter will no, will no more bound, the latter will no more, the latter will be no more bound than the states themselves have been to pay the quotas respectively taxed on them. Had the states complied punctually with the Articles of Confederation, or could their compliance have been enforced by as peaceable a means as may be used with success towards single persons, our past experience is very far from countenancing an opinion that the state governments would have lost their constitutional powers and have gradually undergone an entire consolidation. To maintain that such an event would have ensued would be to say at once that the existence of the state governments is incompatible with any system whatsoever that accomplishes the essential purchase purposes of the union. Publius. A lot there, and and I think we can we can look at that and look at our current condition and think that um, perhaps Madison was a little bit on the optimistic side. <laughs> 
as far as uh, what the uh, what the federal government would become. Um, as we're going through this, I hope you have noticed how extremely limited the proposed federal government in 1787 was. It's not at all the behemoth that the federal government has become. Um, all of these things that were state functions and functions of local government that have been assumed by the federal government ought not be um, under the Constitution. Um, and as we finish the Federalist Papers in a year... <laughs> Um, and, and get into the Constitution and really look at the Constitution, I think we will, we will be able to draw that out um, much more succinctly. I apologize for myself tripping over my reading this morning. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually well-rested. I can't say that I'm tired, but at the same time, I, I appear to be... Uh, uh, skipping words and and dist I'm not distracted that I can think of but uh, I do have a lot to do today and I'm ready to get to it but uh, um, this is how the day starts <laughs> all right let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Endurance. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant, we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. That is Squirrel Chatter for this week. Um, I will be preaching at uh, Blackfoot Community Bible Church in Ovando, Montana this Sunday. If you're in the area, would love to have you come out. Wherever you are, get to church on Sunday. I mean, even when you're traveling, you can find a church to visit. Some of the most encouragement, when I was, when I was pastor at Parkside Baptist, some of the most encouraging things were vacationers. During the summer months, people would be on vacation, and they would look for a church to attend. And they would find us listed on the founder's website or, you know, some of the other church search functions where our church was listed and say, hey, we'll go visit there. And that was just a, you know, a wonderful encouragement to have people who took time during their vacations to attend church. So... Traveling is not an excuse. I mean, obviously, if you're on an airplane, it's hard to go to church. Um, I mean, I was in that situation coming back from Atlanta in G3. The conference ended on Saturday, early Sunday morning. I was on an airplane flying home. And so I was not able to attend church that morning. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going down to Shepherd's Conference. Trust me, I'll be in church on Sunday. <laughs> um I'll be attending the the Shepherds Conference at Grace Community Church, and then I will be worshiping that Sunday with the brothers and sisters at Santa Clarita Baptist Church, um, which is a church I have visited many times, because uh, good friend of mine, Dave Caldwell, is a pastor there, and I'm staying with him this year. So, but even even last year, I wasn't staying with him, and I went there for church. Um, so I, I love going to church at Grace Community Church and I love going to church at Santa Clarita Baptist Church and I have visited, you know, Anthony Forsyth's church down in Burbank. Um, I preached in Anthony Forsyth's church down in Burbank twice. Um, so, you know, there's something about when you're traveling, visit a church. Fellowship with the saints. But when you're home, go to your home church. If you don't have a home church, reach out. We'll try to help you find one. Um, Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert just put out a great video on finding a biblical church and, and brought out some really important stuff. One of the things that, that, uh, they brought out was knowing the difference between essentials and preferences. That was really, really helpful. You know, preferences are things that, you know, you like blue carpet rather than gray. You like a choir rather than a quote unquote worship team. You, you know, you prefer a, a piano and a song leader over you know, three people with a guitar and drums. Those are preferences. They're not essentials. The essentials are 
Is the gospel faithfully proclaimed? Is scripture held in high regard, held up as the inerrant and authoritative word of God? Is it faithfully taught? Does the church conduct itself according to what scripture teaches? Those are the essentials. What color the curtains are is a preference. Whether the church owns its own building or meets in a rented high school gymnasium is a preference. So you have preferences and you have essentials. That video was very helpful in bringing that out. But they talked through all the different essentials. And, and preferences only come into play when you're choosing between two churches that are both biblically sound. That's where your preferences come into play. That's when you say, okay, I like both these churches. They're both preaching the word. They're both faithful churches, doctrinally sound. This one has a more traditional worship service. This one has a more contemporary worship service. Which one do I prefer? Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's a very important thing. You know, the, the, the preaching is much more important than the music. <laughs> um, and I say all of that being somebody with very, very strong opinions about church music and how worship services ought to be conducted. But I can go to a church that doesn't practice certain things that I would prefer as long as the church is biblically sound. Um and, and so you're, you know, there, can you be in a place where there are no sound churches? Absolutely. Especially here in rural Montana. You can be a long way from a good church. Even, but, I mean, if you're near a reasonably sized town or city, chances are one of the churches in that area at least one, is going to be biblically sound. Now, it may not check all your preference boxes, but it checks all the essential boxes. And you need to be in church. If you are a Christian, you need to be a part of a biblical church. You need to be sitting under the faithful proclamation of the word in person. Online doesn't count. And I, I have not heard a single pastor of a solid Bible church, and that's the qualification there, who encourages you to do nothing but watch the live stream. The live streams have a purpose. They have a big purpose. They, they are a ministry to shut-ins who cannot get out due to age or infirmity or some other reason where they just, it is not physically possible for them to make it to church. That's a good use of live streams. There's also the fact that live streams can supplement the spiritual growth of a Christian, but not apart from attending your local church. There are several Preachers whose messages I consume during the week who are not preaching here, you know, that aren't pastors at my church. 
on Sunday, I want to be sitting in the pew listening to my pastor. I want to be fellowshipping with the other members of my church. Um, and then during the week, yeah, I want to hear what John MacArthur preached on. I want to hear what John Benzinger preached on. I want to hear what, what uh, um, Dave Caldwell preached on. I want to hear what Steve Lawson preached on. I, I want to listen to those messages during the week because they feed my soul, but they are not a substitute for attending church. So consider carefully what you do on a Sunday morning. You need to get to church. All right, enough of that. Yes, I feel strongly about it. As you go through the day, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday. We'll see you here on Monday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. What I've said for years now is the best thing you can do as a Christian to live well in this world is find a healthy church and build your life around it. I mean, do what you got to do. I, and I, I agree for people. There's no health, no churches in 100 miles of me. And that's uh, sad. Move. Move. Well, but I got busy. What's more important? You know, you can have your business over here and lose your children. Or you can move and maybe have to work at a 7-Eleven and help build your life around a healthy church for the welfare of your children.